0: When you're going on a trip, when you're going on vacation, how good are you at packing? (laughs) You laugh. of you are nodding your heads. Plus, two, three little kids. Plus three little kids. This is just my luggage. <laughs> How good are you at packing? We found as, as our family has grown, I've had to pare down a little bit <laughs> at what I would normally want to pack, right? So I like to pack for every and any situation. Well, it's the middle of summer. What if it snows? <laughs> what if I get cold? So I pack. And then that, you pack that heavy stuff, you know, you, like, you put the, the, the sweatshirts and the jeans, and then it ends up 100 degrees all week. And, and then you think, oh, what if it rains? What if my shoes get wet? What if I need to go swimming? What if I need. And so pretty soon, what do you end up with? Way too much. And when you're trying to load a family of five into a minivan, you can't have way too much, right? (laughs) It becomes a lot. Well, I am systematically an overpacker. I like to be overprepared for things. We do this in our idolatry, though, as well. We like to overpack. We like to put a lot of things in our hearts because we feel like something is missing. We fill the holes in our lives with idolatry, the holes of comfort, the holes of security, the holes of provision, the holes of approval, and the holes of power. And it's not that we have to pack our bags with idols. We already do that. This series becomes more about unpacking the idols out of our lives, unpacking the idols out of our hearts. As we talked in the last few weeks, I've talked about how we have a throne in our lives, the throne of our heart, and we have to choose what we're going to put on this throne. Are we going to take all the luggage? all the idols, everything that we think we need in our lives to fulfill us and place it on this throne, or are we going to take the only one who will fill us and place him on the throne? Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19 says this, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects face. The man. If you've ever looked into still calm water and you look and you can see your face reflected, the Bible is saying that our heart is reflected the same way on the outside of our lives. The actions of our lives flow out of our hearts. And Brad Bigney gives this definition in his book, Gospel Treason, an idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. It captures our hearts, our minds, and affections more than God. And we, we don't even do this on purpose. It just kinds of happens in our lives. Idols are sneaky that way. We, we talked last week of how our thoughts... What we think in our minds, quite often when the heart is referred to in the Bible, it's talking about our minds and our thoughts, but it has implications on our feelings and our actions. So sometimes our feelings... Have implications on our thoughts sometimes our thoughts have implications on our feelings have you ever done this you're you're just doing something you're really busy doing something and you look at your watch and you go oh it's lunchtime and then what happens all of a sudden you realize what you're hungry so your thoughts then are having physical feelings that are occurring and then what do you do you go eat something right And so your thoughts are having implications on your feelings, having implications on your actions. But have you ever done this one? Man, I just don't feel good about what happened today. I just, I'm really disappointed. And then you go to the refrigerator and you eat something. What is that? Your thoughts, your feelings are having implications on your thoughts, and you're still trying to fill it with the same thing. You're using something, food. On one side, you're using it to fulfill an actual physical desire, but on the other side, you're trying to fill that hole, that sadness, that disappointment with something that really isn't going to do anything. It might help for five minutes when you go to the, you know, and you see your favorite snack there. And so you grab that and you go, oh, that was good. But in the long run, that doesn't help you deal with that disappointment or that sadness. So our actions can look very similar at times. Going to the refrigerator, going to the pantry, getting something. But we do them for very different reasons. We talked about how we can take things in our lives, take something good, and turn it into a God. But the problem with our idols is many times they can be hidden. So we're calling today's message is hidden idols. Why? Because we might think that something is an idol, but in reality, that's not the idol. It's the thing underneath. We could say that food is the idol in my illustration I gave. Food's the idol, but it's really not. It's something underneath. It's that deeper need that you're feeling to fill. Brad makes this comment later in his book. He says, most of the time, God has to show us our idols. We don't usually see them on our own. We don't necessarily make the golden calf and go, oh yeah, there's my idol, but so often we do place idols in our lives. They take that place in our heart that is reserved and designed only for God. Uh, Last week, I just wanted to mention this. I gave you these worksheets. Um, There's still some more out there. If you're interested in grabbing one of those, those are to help identify personal idols in your life. Um... And I hope you use those as a resource um, as you're working through. Uh, God will help point out things in your life if you ask him to do that. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Why? Because the heart is deceitful, and I don't always even know my own heart. This morning, one of the, the issues we have is we place idols in our lives, is trying to remove them. It's trying, like, trying to pull out the weeds in your garden. It's going to take time and effort to identify them, figure out the best way to get them out of your life, and, and then begin to put God in his right place on the throne of your life. This morning we're going to look at a biblical character named Rachel. It would seem on the outside of Rachel's life that she has a lot going for her. She's the beautiful daughter. She's the one that would win the pageant if there was going to be one. She's the sought-after bride. Jacob comes along and he just swoons over her. He falls deeply in love, head over heels for Rachel. Yet, no matter how much her beauty, how much attention... Her beauty brought her, she still feels empty. She still has that hole in her life. And she decides she needs to fill that hole with children. But God doesn't give her children. Her beauty was powerless to help her receive approval. The approval she thinks she needs... Through having children. If you remember the story, there were two sisters. There was Leah and Rachel. Jacob comes and he says, I really want to marry Rachel. I'll work seven years for Laban. Laban's the dad. I'll work seven years for you for Rachel. He works seven years. Jacob the deceiver is deceived by Laban. And on the night of their wedding, Laban gives Leah... To Jacob. So he marries her. He had no intention of marrying her. She's not the one he fell madly in love with. So Jacob says, okay, you got me Laban. I'll work another seven years for Rachel. And so he begins this process, but he only waits a little while before he marries Rachel. That was part of their agreement. He could marry her right away, but he would work the seven years. So he's worked 14 years for Rachel. So Rachel and Leah have this kind of going back and forth. There's idolatry all throughout the pages of this story between these two. It's interesting. God allows Leah to begin just having children. But Rachel remains barren. I want you to kind of get an idea of what begins to happen between the two of them. And we see this in the names of their children. It's beginning in Genesis 29, and it's going to be leading up through Genesis 31. So Leah begins having children. Her first child is Reuben. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob is later renamed after wrestling with God. God hurts his hip, and so he says he has a limp the rest of his life. And he is renamed Israel. His 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. The first son is named Reuben. She says, his name is Reuben. See, a son. And she says this, the Lord has looked upon my affliction For now my husband will love me. What is she trying to get through bearing children? Now my husband will love me. If only I would feel loved. Because obviously my beauty is not going to get it like my sister's. There's this conflict that keeps happening between the two. The second son, Simeon, means herd. And she says later, God has heard that I am hated. God has heard that I am hated. She just wants to feel loved. Levi means attached. Maybe my husband will be attached to me. I've borne him three sons. Genesis 29.35, that's where she makes that comment. The fourth son, finally she calls him Judah, which means praise. She praises God. Isn't it, isn't it, I find it interesting, this is a side note, this is free of charge. I find this interesting that God brings Jesus Christ through the line of Judah, the one who was praised. So then Rachel gets jealous, and she gives her servant, if, if she can't have kids, she gives her servant to her husband, and her servant begun, begins having Kid. She names the first one Dan. It means God has judged me. She gets impatient. Then the second son that her serving gives birth to is Nephtali. It's this idea of wrestling. It's like, oh, I'm beginning to gain a little ground on my sister. I'm wrestling with my sister. Well, then Leah sees that. Rachel has given her servant to Jacob, so she gives her servant to Jacob. Her servant's name is Zilpah. She names her first child Gad. Means good fortune. Ah, I'm back on top. I'm winning against my sister. And then there's Asher. Asher just means happy. This is number eight, by the way, if you're keeping count. Number nine, Leah starts giving birth again, and she gives birth to Issachar. Issachar means wages. It's like, I earned this. I was owed this. Do you see their mentality that's coming across here in the names they're giving to their children? She gives her final child the name Zebulun. It means honor, but it has the idea of now my husband will honor me because I've given birth to all of these children. She says that in Genesis 30, verse 20. And then there's Rachel. God finally opens Rachel's womb and allows her to conceive and have a child. She names him Joseph. And we kind of know Joseph's story and what happens, But she names him Joseph, and his name means, Genesis 30:24: "May the Lord add to me another son." One is not enough. How would you like your kids to be named that? Come here, one is not enough. You kind of grinch at that, right? How would you like a kid that grows up knowing you are not enough? I wanted one more. That's what Rachel chose to name Joseph. And then we know later that she was able to conceive a second time. and She named him Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. she dies in labor. Jacob would name him Benjamin, but his mother on her deathbed named him Benoni, the son of my sorrow. The thing that she had placed as an idol on her life eventually killed her. Trying to feel approval, trying to feel love, is what led to the end of her. See, these are reminders of the idols that captured their heart. Having children is not bad. Desiring to fulfill. God's calling, God calls us to be fruitful and multiply, is a good thing. But we can take that good thing and we can turn it into a God. And they did that through a process in their thoughts and feelings. Having children became more than just having children. They began to feel like they were unlovely, that they were unloved. Their lives were unfulfilled and they thought the only way that I can solve this problem is by, and we do the same thing in our lives, the only way I can solve this problem is by having control of it. The only way I can solve this problem is by finding a way to feel better about it. And so people turn to food, turn to drugs, turn to alcohol turn to, to, to sexuality as this thing that will fill their lives when in reality it's because they placed the wrong thing on the throne of their lives. You see, their idols were not their children. Their idols were their motivation for why they wanted to have sons. Tim Keller makes this comment. There are deep idols within the heart, beneath the more concrete and visible surface idols that we serve. There are deeper idols in our hearts. He, he mentions those deep idols. He says surface idols are things such as money, our spouse, or children, through which our deep idols seek fulfillment. And again, you can look at that sheet that I gave to you from Brad Bigney, and, and there are tons of things that we turn into idols. He goes on to say, "Each deep idol and he lists four here power, approval, comfort or control generates a different set of fears and a different set of hopes, and they come out of a set of fears. And a set of hopes. Well we see idolatry later in Rachel's life. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31. Jacob has worked the time for Laban. He's amassed all sorts of, of livestock, he has his wives, he has children, he, he has a lot, and he recognizes he wants to go back home. Him and Esau had had conflict, he'd stolen the blessing from their father, but he wants to go back home, and so he begins to pack up and leave, but he doesn't let Laban know this. He wants to get out before he has to say goodbye, before Laban tries to get him to stay. And so verse 17 of chapter 31, so Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. So he's beginning this process of traveling. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. She stole his gods. She took his idols. There's four characteristics we're going to see of hidden idols in this passage. The first one is hidden idols breed sinfulness. I want to be very clear about this. Idolatry is sin, but idolatry always breeds more sin, and at times it may not seem like sin, because that's what our idolatry does. It takes something that's good and gives the wrong motives behind it. Rachel takes her father's idols. Now, they didn't have the Ten Commandments at this point. This is Genesis 31. They wouldn't get the Ten Commandments till later in Exodus. But we know from the Ten Commandments, the Eighth Commandment is thou shalt not steal, right? So we can see in her life what is happening is her idolatry is breeding more sinfulness. She's stealing her father's idols. Our sinful actions are the result of the idolatry in our lives. And that idolatry can remain hidden. And we can think, I got rid of this surface thing. But then... The problem is the idol still seated, and that manifests itself in many different ways. Hidden idols breed more sinfulness. Elise Fitzpatrick in her book says this, Every time we sin, it's because we are deceived to. We foolishly think that happiness is to be found in pursuing the lies that whisper seductively in our heart. This will fulfill you. This will meet your needs. This will make you happy. This will make you happy. And then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. He said in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The words flow out of our heart. So when you say something and you go, man, I really shouldn't have said that, what's happening is Your heart is just bubbling up what it really had in there. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what is being produced in our heart is coming out as outward fruit. And it's a reflection, as we looked at, it's a reflection outwardly of what is already there inwardly. The second thing that we see, the second characteristic of a hidden idol, is hidden idols are never satisfied. They always want more. More, more. For Rachel, one son is not enough. So she names her son, may the Lord add to me another son. I just need one more. When she doesn't have that, she takes her father's idols. She needs something that will meet that need. Even though on the outside we look at Rachel and say, oh, she has everything going for her. We don't know why she took the idols. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Was it that she thought that they brought some form of protection or comfort. Maybe that's what she was taught by her father. Maybe it was her trying to cope with leaving her family. I'll just take some pieces of them with me. Maybe she thought these idols, these little G gods, helped get her her first son. So I have to take them with them with me if I ever want another one. We don't know her motive, but we know that her idols are never satisfied. Tim Keller says this. We know a good thing has become a counterfeit God when its demands on you exceed proper boundaries. When its demands on you exceed proper boundaries. I've been trying to have a good relationship with food. Me and food have not always had the best of relationships. There are times in my life when I was sad and I would go to food. I would eat to help me feel happy. And then on the other side, you have to be careful because you don't want to make not eating, trying to get healthy, become your God. It's this balance of life because you can do both sides. The Bible calls the one gluttony, where the food is fulfilling everything in your life. The Bible calls the other side, I mean, it's just basically idolatry of, of trying to make health your are one and all. And each of those I could place on my life and it could become that outward fruit of what is really the idol in my heart, what I'm really struggling with in my heart. Hidden idols are never satisfied, and they will always try to reach out for the next thing, whatever it is. It doesn't always look the same. Even if everybody in here had the same exact idol, it would play out in a different way in each of your lives. Proverbs 27 20 says that Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Always wanting more, always seeking. More The idolatrous heart is never satisfied and is always crying out for more. And you can see in Rachel's life, it was crying out for more, crying out for more. She finally is giving birth to her second son, and that is what causes her to die. Her idolatry for one more caused her to lose her life. Genesis 31, we're going to read verses 25 through 30. And Laban, so Laban goes after Jacob. He realizes he's left, realizes his idols are missing. Verse 25, and Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. And Laban, with his kinsmen, pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs with tambourine and lyre why didn't you let me send you out with a party rather than sneaking out like you were stealing things and then he says verse 28 and why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters fell well now you have done foolishly it is in my power to do you harm he says but the god of your father spoke to me last night god came to him in a vision saying be careful not to say anything to jacob either good or bad Verse 30, and now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my household gods? He asked Jacob. Jacob knew nothing about this. He had no idea what was happening. But hidden idols must be confronted. Hidden idols must be confronted. They must be called out. You have to recognize the idols for the idols that they are. Jacob says, verse 32, Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants. These are the ones that have given him additional sons. But he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. He's calling them out for, you stole my gods. We have to do the same thing in our lives, saying, you've taken a seat in my life that you are not supposed to take, but those gods are not going to want to get off that throne. They're not going to want to be removed off that throne. So Rachel lies about hiding the idols. Laban comes in. He searches around the tent. She, she's sitting on the camel's saddle where the, she's hidden these things. She lies to him, and he never finds the idols. Well, we know the end of Rachel's life. That's the end of what happened. Brad says this, Under pressure, the heart becomes exposed, and it's a compass that shows where you run for refuge. Rachel ran to protect her comfort, hiding her idols. But when is it that your idols get exposed? I can tell you when my idols get exposed. We'll talk about that in a minute. Tim Keller says this, and so it is under stress in real life experience that the true nature of our hearts is revealed. For example, all Christians say and believe that Christ is their Savior, not their career or not their wealth, but while Jesus is our Savior in principle, other things still maintain functional title to our hearts. We place something else on the throne of our lives. The final point is hidden idols will always seek to stay hidden. Hidden idols will always seek to stay hidden. Brad Bigney in his book talks about how the hidden idols in our life are kind of like developing film most of you don't know much probably we don't develop film much anymore but you had to have a dark room my dad actually did a lot with cameras and developing film and I remember in one of our houses we had a dark room where he had a special light that came on it was like a blue light that didn't cause anything but he had a lot of chemicals that I was never allowed to touch because I was pretty young at that point And he would mix these chemicals and he would take the film in. He'd begin to develop it and he could make pictures out of it. Well, in our hearts, it's a lot like that. The picture was there all along. He didn't create the picture in the dark room. He just exposed what was there on the film. He brought it to the surface, and that's what God does in our lives, in our hearts. So often it takes maybe a dark moment, maybe a difficult circumstance, maybe a conflict in your life where God will reveal what your heart is like. He says this, so don't run screaming from the conflict saying that another person made you do this or that. Don't look at your husband and say, I was a loving mother until I had teenagers. Look what these kids have done to me. Oh no, Brad says, the conflict with that other person is simply exposing what had been lying dormant in your heart all along see, our outward responses, the fruit we're seeing outwardly happen, needs to be like a warning light to us. When you respond in this way, when you respond harshly to someone, you need to say, what's going on in here? God designs events in our lives at times to expose idolatry you see he wants to uproot your idols more than you do he wants to rip them off the throne of your life more than you do because it's the place that he is there it is designed for him to be seated on it's designed for him to lead your life from you know when your idols most often rear their ugly heads around those that you're closest to those that we love the most is when our idols come out when I was single I could do what I wanted when I wanted how long I wanted where I wanted I could do whatever I wanted But marriage can bring out idols in my life. Children can bring out idols and expose those idols in my life better than probably anything else. And guess what, all of those things, I could do what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted, where I wanted, it would all stay that way. Guess what, there's five people in our house now. Nothing stays one way for very long. (laughs) I think we probably beat the record for how fast you have to clean a floor in a house, right? It's kids, it's just like, they come in, it's like, how, how did you get all this in here? Well, I was walking around out there and I found a mud pot, I was like, jumping in it, and then I decided to run in, well, I just mopped the floor, come on. Well, what's that exposing? What's become the idol in my heart? You see, when people rub you the wrong way, when they upset you, when they go against what you think you need to have happen in your life, how do you react? How do they push your buttons? Or maybe a better way to say it is how do they trample on your idols? How are they stepping on the little idols of your life? Often we turn to something that gives us security, gratification, pleasure, refuge, satisfaction, rather than turning to Christ. You see, our reactions quite often are just pointing out idols in our lives, something that we put on the throne that does not deserve to be there. Elise Fitzpatrick says this, to identify your idols, begin to look at the thoughts and imaginations that promise you happiness the thoughts you think, oh, if I just had that, I could be happy. Oh. Oh, if I just had a comfortable seat, I could just be happy. If I just had that new car, I could be happy. If I just had that new piece of technology that came out yesterday, I could be happy. If I just had the 2.6 kids, A dog, a cat, a nice house. I could be happy. You see, we have to be careful that we don't make happiness the God of our life. Because the joy of the Lord is to be our strength. And if we place happiness on this throne, we will never be happy. Oh, we'll think we'll have achieved happiness for five minutes, and then we'll be unhappy again. We'll wonder, why am I so happy? I just got this. Because you put the wrong thing on the throne. There's hope. We have a choice who we will serve. Are you going to serve idols or are you going to serve God? We answer this intellectually and all of us could get the answer right and say, well, I'm going to serve God. But so often I know in my own life, the results of what I'm doing, how I'm responding to people, what I'm saying, how I'm feeling are being controlled by something that's not God sitting on that throne. God's words gives us assurance of his transformation. Cindy talked about that from 2 Corinthians 3.18 this morning. David talks about it from Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart. Do you think David would ask God for a clean heart if he didn't think God had the ability to clean his heart? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Wipe this slate clean. Because can't do that myself, God. I need you. Tim Keller says this. There's only one way to change at the heart level, and that is through faith in the gospel. The fact that Jesus came, died for our sins, for all of this idolatry that's in our lives. Jesus Christ died for that. He has given us victory over the idols in our lives. He's done that already. We just have to choose to accept that victory, to live in the victory that he gives us through the gospel. Ephesians 4.22, Paul begins to spell out some of this process. You need to put off your old self. You need to remove yourself off of the throne of your life. Because that's how often, who often tends to sit there is you try to put yourself there which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Say new self. New, new self. self. You've got to take off the old self. You've got to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Because we're living in idolatry. We're living in sinfulness. The Bible tells us we're dead in our sinfulness. We need to remove this old person off of the throne of our lives, and we need to let God come in and rule, because he's going to bring in the righteousness and the holiness that God calls us to in our lives. I was reading an article this week. It was a devotional, and the man was talking about how in his yard he had a lot of Weeds that grew up. And so he went around and he was pulling out every weed that was in his yard. And as he was talking to somebody who knew more about this than he did, the man said, What you need to do is you need to cultivate the soil and you need to plant more seed because as the grass grows up, it's going to weed out all of those weeds. It's going to kill off the root system of the weeds. So we tend to try to say, I'm going to pull out this weed, I'm going to get rid of this sand, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get rid of this but we don't actually get off the throne. We don't take the stuff off the throne. We don't start putting on the new self created after the likeness of God. The problem is if we're just picking little weeds here and there, number one, I don't think we get to the root of the problem. Number two, I think quickly they grow back rather than being replaced with the new self. As Joshua asked the nation of Israel at the end of his life, he said, choose this day whom you will serve. He goes on to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have a choice to make. Who's on the throne? There's a lot of hidden idols there. I know I have them. I struggle with them. But as we work on getting rid of that old self, putting the new self, developing those godly traits, those godly habits that will then weed out those idols in our lives, choose this day whom you will serve. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us. God, give us clarity to be able to identify what's going on in our hearts as we're not always certain (laughs) what those are. Help us to put on the new self that you describe. Becoming more and more and more like Jesus. As we take off the old self, put on the new self. God, help us to daily choose to remove our idols off the throne, to unpack our idols off the throne and place you in the center of our heart, the center of the focus of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.